What's the first book in the Bible? Genesis. In the book of Genesis, there's four great events. What are the four great events in order? Creation. Fall. Flood. Tower of Babel, or the confusion of languages. You have those four great events. Uh, sometimes, Raleigh had mentioned the call of Abraham. Sometimes that's included as the fourth great event. Those, are, those all take place in the first 11 chapters. Then chapter 12 through 50, you have four great people. Who are those four great people? No, not Adam. Go to the back of class. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Okay, of course, Joseph is the one we're going to look at today. Joseph is the, the 11th son of Jacob. He's the first son of Jacob and Rachel. I'm sorry, he has an older sister, Dinah, and he has a brother. I'm sorry, I'm getting all mixed up here. In fact, when Benjamin was born, that's when his mother died, Rachel died. So you have Joseph, he's the 11th son. He lived to be 110 years old. Yet there is not a single sin attributed to him. How many children have that record here today? You don't have one sin attributed to you. No one? That doesn't surprise me. Joseph and Daniel are the only ones mentioned in Scripture uh, that they had nothing... They, they, their faith was unwavering. They never faltered. They never complained. They never compromised. This is the case of Joseph. Uh, he certainly is a model for all of us to realize that it is possible in a wicked culture, in a wicked world, in tough circumstances, to remain true to God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Joseph was not double-minded. He was single-minded. He loved the Lord his God and everything about him. The interesting thing about Joseph, too, is he receives as many chapters in Genesis as Abraham, 14. But he does receive more verses than Abraham uh, does there in, in uh, Genesis. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Joseph as a son in Canaan, and Joseph as a slave in Egypt, and Joseph, Joseph as a prince in Egypt. And we do not have time. I already know that. And all we're going to look at this, this morning is Joseph as a son in Canaan. This is from birth to 17. Uh, these are just, and, and there's some good, I think, applications uh, that uh, we can pick up from this. Uh, but this is what we're going to look at this morning. Per, first of all, uh, problem areas of his childhood. He did not grow up in a perfect home. Unlike your home, his home was not perfect. It was very dysfunctional. All of our homes are dysfunctional to a certain extent. Okay, some more than others. And mine more than yours. But the problem areas of his life, in Genesis chapter 30, Joseph was born. He lived in a home uh, with Jacob, who had four wives, which is, of course, a recipe for trouble, a minefield to walk through right to, to begin with. So he was born in, the, in that. Chapter 29, verse 30, Jacob loved Rachel more. His preference was obvious to all. Of all his wives, the two of them were sisters, Rachel and Leah. He loved Rachel more than Leah, Bilhah, and Zilpah. They were handmaids, but they're considered wives in the, in the sense of they bore him children. 
and it was obvious to all, this was not a secret, he loved Rachel more. In chapter 30, verse 16, Leah and Rachel competed for Jacob's attention. Rachel was barren. She was unable to bear children. So Leah went out to meet Jacob and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. They, they, they competed for his attention. This is the kind of thing that was going on in the home that he was being raised in. Eleventh son of twelve children. Then God remembered Rachel, and she conceived and bore a son, so she called his name Joseph. In other words, there, uh, more will to, there's going to be more to come, which is true. Benjamin was born later. Genesis chapter 31, we see Jacob's flight. Uh, Joseph was at a young age, I believe at this time. From, uh, he was, Joseph was leaving, trying to get himself out of, away from his, his uncle, I guess we, could, we call it that. He was uh, Rebekah's brother, uh, so it would actually be his father-in-law, Joseph's grandfather. At a young age, Joseph and his family make a hasty departure from his grandfather Laban's house. Now, what, is, what does Jacob's name mean? Trickster, deceiver. And uh, when he got together with his brother-in-law, or his uh, uh, father-in-law, I mean, what did he find in his father-in-law? He was equal to, to Jacob. He was just as much a deceiver and trickster as Jacob was. He had met his match. And so there's the years that they were living in that, under that regime, there was, there was a constant vying for control and power and manipulating of circumstances and situations uh, to get control. And so you had this constant competition already built into this relationship between son, uh, son-in-law and father-in-law. With that in mind, they fled away in the cover of darkness uh, because Jacob had, had uh, cleaned out his father-in-law through deception. So he was out of town at night. And then imagine the fear that his grandfather chases the family, overtakes the family, and has words with his father. Laban accuses Jacob of stealing his household gods. Jacob denies this, but it turns out that Rachel had taken them. She lies to her father to cover up her theft. Apparently there was a trunk, uh, and, and the idols were sitting in the trunk. She sat down on the trunk and didn't get up, so they couldn't search it. They, she gave the excuse, well, I'm in, I'm in the way of women. So she, wouldn't, she didn't have to move. Rachel did take his gods. Is the truth of the matter was, and this was a very threatening situation. Laban was an idolater. Uh, one of the things we also want to remember the whole time that Jacob is down here with his father-in-law and in, in this land, he never built an altar. There was never a time that's recorded that he ever really sat down and worshipped God. So you've got the children and the family growing up in this idolatrous atmosphere, this deception, this conflict, um, this uh, competition. And then in chapter 31, Jacob and Laban made a covenant to stay away from one another. Laban departs, and Joseph never sees his grandfather again. And and as you look at at verse 49 here, I'm not going to read, I'm just going to move along here. This is not a prayer of blessing from Laban to Jacob. Rather, it's a threat. I dare you, do not come back. Okay, we're going to have issues more than we already have. So this is is really a, a, a threat to him. So we're still talking about those earlier years. Then in chapter 32, they're fleeing. Esau is coming. His brother, and remember Jacob, deceived his brother and bought the, what? 
birthright. In other words, he basically brought the rights to the property. The blessings of the father, the double portion. He had, he had tricked Isaac. He had deceived Isaac. He had tricked Esau. He got the birthright. And so he was, uh, that's the, one of the reasons Jacob fled, because Esau was going to kill him. And his mother found out about it, so Jacob fled. That's why he went down uh, to Laban, who was um, Rebekah's brother. And uh, that's why he went down there anyway. And so he, that's why he fled. And so he's coming back, and they get the message, Esau's coming. Well, all these years have passed, but Esau was Esau. And he knew that there was anticipation of running into him was not going to be a good thing. So word comes, uh, Esau's coming. He's coming with many men to meet your family. Jacob's afraid because of the way he had treated Esau. He divides his flocks into three parts to use as a bribe to soften the heart of Esau. Then in chapter 34, a terrible incident happened. His sister Dinah happened to be, be raped. Uh, then in chapter 35, uh, Rachel dies. He's, his mother dies at the birth of Benjamin. Reuben, his oldest brother, uh, commits incest with his father's concubine. Joseph, other grandfather, Isaac, dies and is buried. All these things happen even up into chapter 39, just as Jacob favored Rachel, now he favors Joseph, and he gives him the coat of many colors. This is what Joseph grew up in. This is what things were happening to him. If, if, if you, we use the expression, I wonder, wait till the next foot drops, or next shoe drops. That's exactly what was happening. These things, in his first 17 years, these were the things he was facing, time after time after time. He grew up in a negative, hostile environment. The murder, treachery, intrigue, idolatry, jealousy, death, hatred. What do we learn from this? How to build a dysfunctional home. <laughs> you want to know how to build a dysfunctional home? Read those first 37 chapters, beginning with chapter 12 through 30, or, uh, 37, beginning where they're in t- in, about Joseph. These are the things. You want to build a dysfunctional home, this is what you can do. Be less than truthful with one another. Honesty is a cornerstone of character, and character is the foundation of leadership. A half-truth is still a whole lie. You want a dysfunctional home? Be less than truthful with one another. What's one of the greatest ways, easiest way to break trust, break trust in your home? Lie. That's the easiest way to break trust, to have people lose confidence in you, is to lie. Secondly, be jealous of other family members. Of course, this began with Rebecca uh, favoring Jacob, Isaac uh, favoring Esau. This carried over into Jacob's family, his favoritism towards Rachel, and again towards Joseph, as he gave him those coat of many colors. Be jealous of other family members. This, this favorite, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead there, the favoritism there. But be jealous of family members. Demonstrate favoritism. Uh, passive parenting in training and correcting your child, your children. Uh, when Dinah was raped, the two of the sons went to the men of Shechem, deceived them, and then murdered them. Jacob found out about it, never did anything about it. Never reprimanded them. He found out and knew about Dinah being raped by the men of Shechem, or this man from Shechem. He never did anything about it. That's why his sons took the law into his own hands. Jacob was passive as a father. 
he, 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 he made a lot of mistakes. So you want to build a dysfunctional home? Pass of parenting and training and correcting your children. Third, or last one, live a life of anger, manipulation, control. Let me add to the word anger, could be bitterness. Allowing bitterness to eat you up. Manipulation is deception. And control, I'm playing God. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to work this out. We see it in marriages. We see it in children with their parents and parents with their children and the child with another child. These things, are, these things go on. So you want to fill, build a dysfunctional home. You do these things, you're well on your way. These are, these are and, and let me put it this way, no one has to teach you to do these things. This just comes naturally to us. And these things. But, second thing is, those were the, obviously, the negative things we see in Joseph's life, but there are some positive areas of his childhood. Not all is bad. And, and that's one of the things... Maybe, maybe some of the things we talked about have brought up some bad memories of your own. Some negative thoughts of your own. Let me just say this. When you dwell in the negative, you become negative. But nonetheless, even in every negative situation, there's at least one or two things we look back and say, no, that was a good thing. God did a good thing and, and worked out a good thing in my life. And in fact, if you're here this morning and you know Christ, your personal Savior, when you got saved, the grace of God was extended to you, that was a great thing. Later on, a couple, another message away, uh, one of the things I say, don't, your past does not define you. It's very important you understand that. Joseph's past did not define him. You allow your past to define you, you are already going to be defeated. Your past does not have to define you. The grace of God has extended himself to you through the form of Jesus Christ. You're free in him. To go forward, to live victoriously. But some positive areas of Joseph's childhood, I'm just going to give you three of them. Chapter 32. In chapter 32, verse 24. He's on his way to see Esau. But there's a night takes place, and he's at a place called Peniel. Then he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent, sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was, about, was out of joint, as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and, and men and with men and have prevailed. Joseph witnessed the change in his father. This is a, Have you ever wrestled with God? Maybe, maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you will. But this situation, Jacob was wrestling with God. He was trying to prevail. You're not going to prevail against God. Get real. But this was, this was a real situation going on. He was, he was wrestling with God. And it had to do, frankly, with what we always wrestle with, our own flesh. Our own pride. Our own arrogance. And God changed his name from Jacob, which was deceiver, trickster, to what? 
Israel, which means prince with God or prince of God. And Joseph witnessed the change in his father. Listen, mom and dad, the best thing, the best heritage that you can leave behind to your children is for them to see a difference between you and the lost people, the lost man, the lost woman. Joseph saw and recognized and witnessed that difference in his father. Second thing, chapter 35, verse verse 1 to 4. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of of Esau your brother. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, Purify yourselves, change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So that they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their heart, their ears, and Jacob hid them under his tabernacle tree which was by Shechem. He witnessed the dad, Jacob, standing up and said, Okay, family, gather around. Bring me all your idols. We're going to destroy them. And then we're going to build an altar to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel. This was the place at Bethel where I came and God spoke to me and challenged me and told me and reaffirmed to me the Abrahamic covenant. And I'm coming back to Bethel. Remember I told you there was no altar when he was with Laban. But when he came out away from Laban... He went, and the, one of the first things he did was what? He built an altar. And Joseph witnessed this great event. So not only see his father change from Jacob to Israel, but he saw his father lead that home in worship of God. The third thing I see is found in verse 30, chapter 37. Yes, he was Jacob's favorite. But also there's a silver lining there. He experienced the love of his father. Chapter 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. He experienced the love of his father. There's there's two things, dads, that you can give your children. The greatest gifts you can give them. Number one, love your mother. Or love love your wife. Love their mother. Love your wife. They can witness that. They can see that. But they need to know that you also unconditionally love them. They already know you're not perfect. They already love you, even in your imperfection. But sometimes they wonder if you really love them. Joseph experienced the love of his father. He experienced seeing his father lead his family in worship of God. And he experienced seeing the change that took place in his father's life. So, what do we learn from that? Three basic principles for building your home. First of all, our home ought to be a sanctuary of godliness. We call this the sanctuary. Meaning what? A certain degree of holiness. Okay, Your home ought to be a sanctuary of godliness. It ought to be a reflection of God. It ought to point people to God. There in Deuteronomy chapter 6 sometime, and I referred to this last week, I believe, also, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
This is sometimes called the Magna Carta of parental responsibility. In the first three verses, lead by example. Now this is the commandment, and, the, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and his commandments which I commanded you, you, your son, your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God your fathers have promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Lead by example. Keep these commands. Keep and do. Observe. Listen, if your family is to be a sanctuary of holiness, you need to lead by example. You say, I'm not a leader. You, by the fact that you're the parent, makes you the leader. Even as a grandparent, I, I, I still see the influence that I can have on my children and their, grand, and, and their children. You are, you are responsible to lead by example, to keep, to do, to observe. The second thing you see there in verse 4 to 6 is to love God exclusively. He says there in verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. When Jesus was asked that same question by the, the Pharisees and the scribes, says, What's the greatest commandment? And what did he say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy strength, and all thy soul. There's every part of you, every, your, your very the fiber, ought to be exclusively focused on God. Thou shalt have no other gods before you, says in the uh, Ten Commandments. What, what idols do you have? What idols do you have set up? I mean, it could be anything. Money, it could be possessions, it could be whatever. You're to worship God exclusively. You're to love him exclusively. It doesn't mean I don't love my wife or don't love my children, but I love God exclusively. My focus and love is to him unconditionally. So I lead by example. I'm to love God exclusively. And then in verse 7 and 8, I'm sorry, verse five, uh, 6 and 7 and 8, to live the word extensively. Listen. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's he saying? The word of God is to be a way life. There's many things that draw our attention. We're living in, I mean, in the culture we live in is deceptive. It's reaching, always grabbing at us. There's always that subliminal message to draw us away. But if we're ex living the word extensively, God will give to us that wisdom, that insight to be able to see through things, to evaluate, to determine, is this what's best for my family? Is this what's best for me as a believer? 
Our home ought to be a sanctuary of, God, of godliness. And how can we do that? We lead by example. We love, love God exclusively. And we live the word extensively. Second. Our home ought to be a center of fellowship and friendship. Who do you really like being with? Who do you enjoy being around? One of the things they had said to my son when he got in the army was, make sure, because you don't know what tomorrow will bring, because of deployment and other things, he said, make sure you're making memories now. Listen, you have no idea what tomorrow will bring, and neither do I. Do you really enjoy your family? Let me put it this way. If you don't enjoy your family, I can guarantee you no one else will either. Fellowship and friendship. There in Ephesians chapter 4, communication, commitment, companionship. Ephesians chapter 4, challenge of the husband. Husbands what? Love your own wife. Commitment. That commitment takes place. Ephesians chapter 5, or uh, I believe also chapter 4, talks about communication. What is communication? Talking, listening, and what's the key to communication? Understanding. What do you really mean by that? Do you understand what I mean by that? Tell me what you think it means. That communication, that commitment, and companionship, as Ephesians chapter 6 gives the different roles of the parents and the different roles of the children of that companionship and how they fit into those roles. Our home ought to be a center of fellowship and friendship. Do your children, would your children rather invite kids to your home or would they rather go to their home? Now that's not necessarily an indication that you've got a bad home. I'm just saying that there's a, there ought to be a comfort level of understanding that your children would be delighted to bring other children to your place. Your home ought to be a center of fellowship and friendship. Last one. Our home ought to be like a city on a hill. Matthew 5, verse 14 uh, and 15. This is talking about if you light a candle, do you hide it under a bushel? No! You, you, you don't hide it under a bushel. You let the, the candle shine so you can find your way around. Your home ought to be like a city on a hill. A godly home gives a convincing testimony of the transforming power of God. Let me say that again. A godly home gives a, a convincing testimony of the transforming power of God. Hey, you want to make an impact in your community? You want to make an impact upon your relatives? You want to make a, an impact upon those, those individuals that you work with or you're, that you're employed by? Be a city on a hill. Uh, the only thing I can think of is possibly to, to, to visualize this for myself is going up to uh, St. Pete, here from Naples. And as you get closer at night to the Skyway Bridge, as some of you know what I'm talking about, you see this, it, it's way up in the air. Now there's plenty of lights, uh, other areas lit up, but you can see this, you know that it's coming. Why? Because it's lit up as bright as possible. Like a city on a hill. Your family, your home, <laughs> ought to be like a city on a hill. A godly home gives a convincing testimony of the transforming power of God. You see, it's not only inward are we to be working on our home, but we're to have a continual testimony, a continual testimony 
of the transforming power of God. Now, wasn't that great stuff? Joseph made a difference. And that's just the first part. Let's stand and pray together. We thank you, Father, that we can come to you. Indeed, we do pray. As we search our own hearts, our own families, our own family relationships. Indeed, Lord, we've all made mistakes. But just like Jacob changed, we can change by the power of God that works within us. And I pray, Lord, that we will bring about those changes. That we will grow, we will mature in our faith. That we will have an impact upon our children, our grandchildren, our families around us, our relatives. We certainly will be a city on a hill. If you're here this morning, and with all that we've done this morning, you may be saying, Pastor Ken, I'm not saved. I, I know I'm not saved, but I'd like someone to show me from the scriptures how I can be saved. Is there anyone like that this morning? So you can say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. Pray for me as a person. Pray for my family. Is there anyone like that? Any others? Father, again, we thank you for the word, the truth of it. We thank you for this great testimony of the things we can learn from Joseph's life. We pray for it, Father, as we go out uh, that in, into this world, in this culture, indeed, that we'll be shining lights. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.